0: Explore More presents a reading from Strangers Like Angels, with a devil or two to boot, by Alec and Jan Foreman. Chapter 39. Avalanche to Crocodiles. 28th of December 1977 to the 2nd of January 1978. Nepal. Following an uneventful night, we were up and about when Alec saw a group of six hippies walking down the road from the direction of the avalanche.
1: Hello, how's the road looking back there?
0: Alec called. Oh, it's not good, man. The route is blocked with at least 60 tracks stuck in deep snow, and that's beyond the avalanche. There's more over here, replied the lead chap, putting his cold bare hands under the armpits of his Parker jacket, trying to warm them up.
1: Really? Do you know how much snow there is further on?
0: Yeah, we were on a bus coming up from the other side yesterday, and the snow's real bad for more than 10 miles. What did you do last night? I chipped in. Slept in the bus. Jeepers! I was chilled numb, said a young woman as she pulled her woollen hat snug around her ears, tucking in her long blonde locks. Fancy a cuppa? No, that's OK. The Red Cross have been giving out bread and tea to the stranded, so we're good. And where are you off to now? asked Alec. Well, it's going to be a long time before the driver will have room to shift our bus and drive on, explained a fellow with ginger dreadlocks. Yeah, and added to the snow, the wind is so flat and freezing up there that the truck drivers are fires burning under their fuel tanks. Jeez, that's crazy said another guy, his voice muffled through his long, hand-knitted, striped, psychedelic scarf, which was wound around his neck a couple of times and still hung down to his knees.
1: Yes, I've seen that cunning trick too. The diesel thickens up in the cold and won't flow through the engine.
0: What about your luggage? I inquired. Oh, we've left the backpacks on the bus and we're walking to the next village, this side of the avalanche. See if we can catch another bus to Kathmandu.
1: Well, I hope you reconnect with your bags again,
0: Alec said, wondering at their wisdom. If you need a free meal when you get into the city, ask for Joe's place near Freak Street, I informed them. The friendly guys there will give you a welcome. Just say Alec and Jan sent you. Thanks, said a slim girl. She walked away down the hill. Her Doc Martin boots peeping out below her long ruby red Indian cotton skirt.
1: Well, that's that then. We're staying here today,
0: Alec concluded as we climbed back into our home. The day was spent reading and writing postcards and entries in the diary. You'd never believe it, but even at that risky camp location, we had local visitors. A couple of boys came walking by barefoot on the icy snow. Their clothes were totally inadequate for the climate. It was incomprehensible, but they didn't appear to be particularly bothered. They were really hardened to the harsh conditions of their poverty. It was great that we could give them each a balaclava mystery parcel to take away and enjoy.
1: Chan, what about using the meat from the Antarctic packs to bake a pie for supper?
0: said Alec feeling hungry in the late afternoon. That's a great idea I replied. I reconstituted an eight ounce dehydrated meat block with a measure of water. The dried onions, carrots and peas were softened in hot water, drained and added to the meat. I made the pastry and put the pie all together. Our ingenious oven cooked the pie exceptionally well and we had a scrumptious hot tasty meal. The Land Rover had warmed up nicely with the cooker on, so we decided to go to bed straight away after eating. I quickly undressed, then put on a vest, long johns, socks and a long winciette nightdress. What a sight! We read our books for a while before nestling down to sleep. Can you see anything moving? I asked Alec the next morning as he lifted up the front blind at the bulkhead to check the road conditions.
1: No, it's all quiet out there,
0: Alec replied. Oh good, we can have a lie-in, no need to rush about, I responded as I pulled the duvet closely under my chin, keeping my hands tucked in. The exposed metal edges inside the Land Rover glistened with frozen crystals of condensation. By eight, we were ready to be up and about, so we manoeuvred ourselves this way and that in order to pack the bedding and bed away without opening the door. Next we had to dress, which was a tad difficult as the carpet was sodden with water from the snow we'd brought in on our boots the day before. Our faithful kettle was back on the stove, ready for the next pot of tea to enjoy with breakfast porridge, boiled egg, bread, and dried apricots that I'd soaked in water overnight. A young Nepalese boy and teenage lad came along and watched us for ages. We gave them coffee to drink. Then an English guy stopped by and enjoyed a, a mugful too. He was travelling by motorbike on his way to Australia via Kathmandu. We read our books, played Scrabble and wrote several more postcards and letters as we waited and waited for the road to reopen. I baked another pie for dinner filled with egg and grated cheese which was delicious with lentils and kidney beans followed by sweet milk pasta for dessert. We'd had a long and pleasant day and as darkness fell, passing traffic increased, indicating the road had probably cleared and we could leave the following day. As we settled early in bed again, a vehicle pulled in front of us and its light shone right into our window.
1: It's only the bread and tea wagon,
0: Alec determined, and lay back down. We were soon asleep, unperturbed that the Red Cross van had parked close by. It was an early start the next day as we continued along the Triphoven Highway. Initially, the road was navigable until we met the bulldozer working to clear the snow. Multiple buses, trucks, and a few private cars on the road hindered the driver's progress. They moved in both directions along the mountain road that was only wide enough for one vehicle. Passing points were few and far between. It took us five hours to travel five miles. We patiently sat and read, played Scrabble for the umpteenth time, drank coffee and munched on sweets and biscuits as Alex slowly edged the Land Rover forward. Along the route we stopped at Daman, a small village in a strategic location 60 miles southwest of Kathmandu. At over 7,611 feet, it commanded a majestic panoramic view across the Himalayas from dalagari in the west across to Mount Everest in the east. The clear blue cloudless sky afforded us a stunning scene to photograph as we stood at the top of the viewing tower. Afterwards, we drove on, going down and down along the switchback road, leaving the snow far behind. Finally, we reached the bottom of the pass and headed for Hetauda, a busy town in the lowlands, to search for bread. It was late in the day, so there was little about. What we did buy was costly and tasted fausty. We then drove west along a dirt road under reconstruction until we found a suitable place to park for the night. The next morning, New Year's Eve, There was no water to wash the dishes, or ourselves, as the tank was empty. Fortunately, there was just enough for tea. A group of locals hung around watching us pack up. We were soon on our way, enjoying the scenery of lush green vegetation and delightful thatched houses. The road was rough and frequently corrugated, like we'd experienced in Africa, so we were jostled about in our seats. There were huge teams of men labouring on the new road as we drove along trying to find the turn to Chitwan National Park. The uneven, muddy track was slick and slippery and at one point the Land Rover had to ford the river. Near to the outskirts of the park there were several simple village houses with many people and domestic animals about. The forest became denser the further we drove into the park. It was possible to stay at the Elephant Camp Hotel, but pricey. So we continued on to the riverbank, where, pleasingly, we could park for free. A number of overlanders were already there with their Land Rovers. Two Australians and an Irish fella who worked for Tier Fund in Bangladesh had ridden in on their bicycles. I found out that my teenage heartthrob, Cliff Richard, had staged concerts in Britain to raise funds for that aid organisation. After lunch, we took a late afternoon stroll down to the river, where we sat on a fallen tree trunk. Either side of us, tall elephant grass swayed in the breeze, framed by the dense green forest and the snow-peaked Himalayas away in the distance. A variety of birds flitted around and we saw several stunning kingfishers adorned with turquoise, brown and white feathers. Many working elephants waded across the river guided by their trainers as they carried small logs in their trunks. We relaxed and enjoyed the warmth of the jungle and listened to the orchestra of chirping crickets, croaking frogs, crackling of foraging in the forest and the trumpeting of elephants as we bathed in the amber sunset and bade farewell to 1977. On New Year's Day we were up by seven to go on an elephant safari. We needn't have begun so early as everyone else was laid back and in no rush to get the activity underway. So Alec and I chilled and watched the baby elephants chomping their breakfast freshly gathered grass and leaves. At half past ten we were introduced to our elephant which knelt down so we could climb onto its back. We sat on a big sack Cushions stuffed with straw and strapped securely onto the elephant's back. The driver sat just behind its huge ears on a piece of hessian and gave directions with his feet. He had remarkable control of the enormous creature which appeared quite gentle and graceful. Initially it was a comfortable stable ride until we went down the river bank. Then it felt strange and unsteady as we were tipped this way and that. The elephant strode across the river and up the other side to follow a narrow track. It swished by the elephant grass, which was so tall we could only just see above it. Startled birds flew out as we rustled on by. Going into the jungle, the elephant ploughed through the undergrowth between the trees. If a branch was blocking the way, the driver hacked it off with his machete and the elephant pulled it down with his trunk and trod it underfoot. For over an hour, we trudged along under the shady green canopy of leaves. Monkeys swung from branch to branch, chattering with excitement. As for big game, well, we did spy a pair of rhinoceros. The next day, after the morning mist had burned off, we ventured out on a crocodile hunt with five other overlanders. As the bottom of the large canoe was awash, Alec removed the vinyl upholstered base of the front seats from our Land Rover for the two of us to sit upon. We travelled along the river for 90 minutes at a gentle pace, grateful for the skill of the oarsmen. The journey took us past the elephant grass and into the heart of the forest. The air was hot and humid and hummed with the sound of flying insects. The oarsman guided the canoe along a murky inlet stream and then he stopped and directed us to step out onto the soft, muddy bank and continue along on foot for a couple of miles. With seven of us walking along, trying to tread lightly and talk in whispers, the shy crocodiles kept themselves hidden. Alec did see one slip into the water, but I just saw the wash. A vulnerable baby deer drank water from the edge of the riverbank. I felt constantly nervy as we took the long and strenuous walk back along the banks to the canoe. Unfortunately, our return ride to the camp was short-lived. The canoe barely moved as the oarsmen paddled against the current with the weight of seven passengers. So everyone got out again to walk all the way back to camp. We were partly on the shoreline, fighting our way through the tall, scratchy grass, and occasionally wading through the water on the sandy riverbed. As Alec and I were keen to leave the National Park that afternoon, we forged ahead of the group to where the Land Rover was parked. Unfortunately, it was across on the other side of the river. We waded for most of the way until a boy in a canoe turned up and gave us a ride across the deeper middle section to the far shore. It was mid-afternoon by the time we'd had lunch, and packed our stuff away, and the big canoe arrived. Alec paid the man retrieved our damp seats to refit into the Land Rover. We drove back along the park track, forded the river, and continued to the main dirt road. At Narai Angat, we took the ferry, which was a wooden platform rigged across two boats. Having crossed the main river, we were thankful to be driving along a smooth tarmac road for the hundred miles to reach the Nepal Indian border. Total distance driven, 30,780 miles. You've been listening to a reading from Strangers Like Angels, with a Devil or Two to Boot, by Alec and Jan Foreman, presented by ExploreMore. Explore More is an adventure lifestyle brand founded on the 1977 travel stories of Alec and Jan Foreman, with a passion to inspire people to explore more of the world, engage with others, and embrace global cultures to ensure a greater understanding for each other and enable positive progression. Discover great products and more on exploremore.com. That's E-X-P-L-M-O-R-E dot com.